This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio and Where the Drowned Girls Go in Audiobook by Shannon McGuire. This is the next edition to McGuire's beloved Wayward Children series, which I know y'all are definitely aware of. And this time, the students at an anti-magical school are rebelling against the oppressive faculty. Uh, This series has won a Hugo for Every Heart a Doorway, a Nebula, a Yalsa, Alex Award, and a Locus Award. But also, this is a standalone that's a great entry for new listeners. So whether or not you're already on this train, you can join in. And the audiobook is read by Whitney Johnson. Again, that is Where the Drowned Girls Go in audiobook by Shauna McGuire, read by Whitney Johnson from Macmillan Audio. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 120, and we're recording on January 7th, which is the first Friday of 2022. <laughs> we made it. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And we're going to talk about our most anticipated books of 2022 today. Happy New Year. Happy New Year of books. This is a very yes. <laughs> I know it's it's so funny because obviously new books come out like every day, yeah. let alone every week and month. But there's something about like starting the new year and looking down six months worth of new releases and getting all excited about it. Yeah, that's a that's actually a good point that we're really talking about the books from the first half of 2022, and it just so happened that a lot of the books I was really looking forward to are coming out pretty soon, which I guess is good news for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had a hard enough trouble narrowing it down just for the first half of this year, let alone looking at the second half. So we will revisit the second half of 2022 in another most anticipated show. I really struggled to narrow my list down. (laughs) Yeah, we don't want to put that kind of pressure on ourselves. It's, (laughs) It's hard enough as it is. There are a lot of really great books coming out this year so Mm -hmm. I'm just full of excitement which is a great way to start any year and especially Mm -hmm. a year where there's like last all sorts of uncertainties so at least we can count on on great reading and and some good stories coming out yes yes (laughs) amen to that Well, before we get to our news and our picks for most anticipated, I'm going to tell you about our sponsor, which is Night Render by Jody Meadows. On the island of salvation, reality bends easily. Villages disappear, forests burn forever, and three kingdoms have been at war for a thousand years. In the midst of an upcoming marriage between the Prince of Caberwell and the treacherous and cunning Princess of Embria, which could end the ancient conflict, a greater threat is building. The malice and incursion from the demon plane is slowly tearing its way through the world's weakest seams. That once split will lead to the total unraveling of night and day, light and dark, life and death. Prince Rune is determined to summon Night Render, immortal, inhuman champion of the gods and mankind's only defense to stop the malice. But will Night Render save humanity or plunge it even deeper into the fires of eternal war? So this story is told in three perspectives and it combines lush romantic high fantasy drama with surreal speculative horror, which sounds delightful. And this is actually the start of a duology uh, from Jody Meadows, who's the best-selling author of the Lady Jane books, as well as the Incarnate and Fallen Isles trilogy. So if you're looking forward to some speculative horror and high fantasy stories, check out Night Render by Jody Meadows. Awesome. All right. News. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, right. So there were a bunch of awards awarded. That's how that works. Uh, (laughs) And we have been away, so we haven't talked about them yet. So I feel like that seems like the right place to start. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, let's kick off with the the Hugo Awards for 2021. So many good ones. This is... 
I know. It's a good list. It's a good list. These were awarded in mid-December. And let's see. Best novel went to Network Effect by Martha Wells. That's part of the Murderbot series, which continues to be great. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that I will say that was a really good slate I feel like this year yeah. so I would have been happy with really any of those books I couldn't it, have guessed frankly. yeah no no and then best novella this one I'm super excited Yay! about went to the Empress of Salt and Fortune by Nevo I love that series so much it's so good that was like I remember reading that novella and it's just stayed with me since my first reading yes. and it's just Nevo is just a treasure, I think. Right? Yeah. I Like, no shade to any of the other nominees, For but sure. I just am obsessed with that series. Those, those, I mean, they're so good. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> so anyway, I it's like just making incoherent noises about that. Um, and then, let's see, Best Novelette went to Sarah Pinsker for Two Truths and a Lie. And I haven't read that one yet, but I've read other Pinsker that I really enjoyed. Um, oh, this is interesting. I didn't realize that Helicopter Story got a novelette nomination this year. Oh, I haven't read that one. Well, that was like a very controversial. <gasps> oh, that's the Helicopter yeah. Story. This is so interesting, y'all. Okay, I'm going to leave some links in the show notes wow. for context for that. Yeah, wow, exactly. How did I how did I not realize that I had didn't happened? Either. Well, <laughs> that's super interesting and we're going to have to we're going to have to talk about that another time because yeah. I was not prepared to go into it, but uh yeah, we'll leave some context notes. That's kind of a big deal though. Um Let's see. And then short story went to T Kingfisher, whose name I've been seeing everywhere and haven't read yet. Have you? I've read T. Kingfisher. I read a horror story. What was it? Oh, my goodness. It was so long ago. But, yeah, I've read one T. Kingfisher. And then T. Kingfisher is listed again later Mm. down um, for Mm. a book I actually had on my library holds list. I'm, like, scrolling down because it's at the I know. It's a long – there's a lot. We're not going to be able to go through all of them. No. It's the best YA uh, book Taking oh, right. Fisher one for a wizard's guide to defensive baking, which we very yes, which I have on my about. stack. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah there's a lot of good stuff on here. Um, I want to shout out Fire Magazine, which has won for best semi prozine Like again, how many times have they won? I don't know. They should continue winning forever. As Absolutely. Far as I'm concerned. Um, and what was the other thing I wanted to shout out? There was one more. Oh, Maria Devana Headley. One uh, for best related work for Beowulf, which I get like, y'all, I don't care what your feelings are about Beowulf. <laughs> I think it's worth reading regardless. It's so funny and smart and well done. So that's my pitch for Beowulf. Uh, I have to read that. I have to. It's. I think you'll really enjoy it. I love it. I don't think I realized it was funny. So that's, she, that's I, a good point. You're not expecting it, but like. I, it's just so it really is actually really funny because she's approaching it as if it's like a, a dude telling a story in a beer hall. And so uh. that vibe infuses her choices in a really delightful way. Like, I don't think she's making light of the drama that's inherent in Beowulf, but she is playing with it in a way that I think is super correct for the text and also really enjoyable to to read. So that's, like I said, that's my pitch for Beowulf. I'm going to pick that up. And I remembered, I didn't remember, I literally Googled it. Uh, I, re- <laughs> I rediscovered the name of the book. I read by Ting Fisher, T. Kingfisher, and it was the Twisted Ones, which was a really oh, right. hilarious but also scary horror story that features like one of my favorite fictional dogs. Just a mm. completely silly dog. I, I love that book. So yeah, the Twisted Ones is great nice. if you want to check out T. Kingfisher's work, but Obviously doing very well with the Hugos. Yes. And no doubt. Yeah. I'm really happy for some of these. I feel very proud of myself for having read a lot of novellas in the finalist mm. list. Uh, so mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes me feel good about myself. Um, but yeah, congratulations <laughs> to everybody. 
Yeah. Should we dive right into the Nomo Awards too? We should. And I will start out by saying that I did not have a chance to look up pronunciations for a lot of the Mm. authors on this list. So I do not want to butcher their names. But if you go to the link, you can check them out. It is well worth looking at the list. But one of the uh, winners of this um, award for African science fiction and fantasy is Akweki Amezi, who is a favorite, I think, among a lot of book rioters. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Akweki Amezi, but I haven't read The Death of Vivek Oji, which is the book they won for. So yeah, I have yeah. to pick that up at some point. I feel a lot of mm-hmm. pressure right now. Self yeah. pressure. <laughs> 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 but super congrats yeah. to them. Yeah, same. I love uh, seeing what comes through this award because, you know, some of this is not ever gonna, like, obviously Amezi is well known here in the States, but some of these authors are very new yeah. to me and I'm sure to a lot of others. So it's really exciting to, especially if one of your goals, which I have a perennial, like, it, 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 soft goal, as it were, like not a hard, like, counting, but I'm always trying to read more internationally. So yeah. this is a great list to use for that. Yeah, I agree. I have not heard of a lot of these authors. And I think the last time we visited this, I got a chance to read, I believe it was the winner of the graphic novel category. I got to Mm. read a little of that comic and I just was delighted. So (laughs) tried and true, check it out and discover some possibly new to you authors and all the congratulations to these uh, winners. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, should we talk about... This is a short <laughs> one, the Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> yeah. Wah, wah. So... I have... I have some I have some thoughts about this because I did I did watch a little okay, bit. Okay. That's great. Um because I did not. So I want to hear okay. all your thoughts. So the Hollywood reporter and James Hibbard and Boris Kitt reported on the cancellation of Netflix's Cowboy Bebop. It's only had one season, and I guess the news of the cancellation came only three weeks after the debut of the show on November 19th. And we've talked about it. We talked about it in the lead up to the adaptation Mm -hmm. of this um, anime series that was super popular and that we both really enjoyed. Uh, You had some feelings about the wig choices. Yeah, I I continue to have feelings about the wig choice. But it sounds like it just wasn't doing very well with uh, viewers. It wasn't doing very well with the critics. And it sounded like it was a pretty easy decision to cancel the show. I I guess some of what was said about the feedback about the show was that it was maybe too faithful to the original content and that the – this is a quote from – Hollywood reporters Angie Han, um, the sharp anime visuals were reduced to muddy CG, which is a thing. CG is always difficult for me, especially when you're adapting Mm -hmm. from um, animation of any sort and you're trying to capture that really fantastical feel and this all happens in space so that's a big part of it and a lot of it happens on other planets and things that look a little bit like earth but you know have some differences where you have to have really great sets and really great you know you have to have a good illusion in reality to make it work so I am kind of sad just because I loved the anime and it was kind of exciting to think about Cowboy Bebop being adapted and becoming more popular through the adaptation but I'm really curious about your feelings and thoughts yeah I I didn't even make it all the way through the first episode so it's the the opening is almost a shot for shot remake of the first of the opening of the first episode of the anime. Okay. So I was like, well that's a choice. Like 
I, it why like shot for shot really and then the second half of the episode like we're not even a half like the part to, not after the opening um it like immediately makes some changes like it introduces you know um characters far earlier than they were introduced in the in the sh- in the anime but it, it was so like like that I agree with uh Han's point about the pacing like it was really sort of like clunky um and I think they they were trying so hard to like give it a campy feel that they overdid it so all of the action sequences there were these big pauses so you could see like somebody's hand on a gun and like you're like okay but like it it was just really awkward it was very awkward and I was like I can't I, I have to I can't I'm not gonna make it through this um and so I and I confess I didn't return to see if the later episodes got any better, but clearly I wasn't the only one with that experience. It just, it was, it, I like if you're, I don't, I don't need a shot for shot live action remake of anything, quite frankly. Like I just don't. Um, especially if you're gonna like go hard on camp. And that's always, I'm I, the campiest sci fi shows are never for me, right? Like yeah. that's just true for me. I'm not saying that they're bad, they just aren't for me. Um, and this one in particular, like the, the combo of the overly faithful to the original and then, you know, really leaning on the camp factor, I was just like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not particularly surprised to see this news. I mean, I feel I'm I'm sad for the people involved because I'm sure they wanted, <clears throat> excuse me, to make something awesome. Yeah. And it just didn't work out. Um but yeah, it's I, I think this is probably the right call. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me because I I am always um, uncertain about how certain types of anime will translate. And Cowboy Bebop Mm -hmm. does have a very, like, it's a little all over the place, even in the original. But it's sort of like, it's short enough and it's the format for some reason seems to work for that sort of pacing and plotting and for the weirdness that can abound. You just expect it from the animated series. But I can see how it would be difficult to digest in this format. And the campiness for me as well, it has to be really, it has to be done in a very specific way for me to really enjoy it because it can go over the top really easily and can be a little bit cringy, I guess is the word. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I guess I won't be watching. (laughs) I won't be watching it. I don't, I don't recommend it. (laughs) But I, I too am sorry for everybody involved who wanted to make it a thing. And I, I wish them all the best in finding their next project and hope it's a success. Indeed, indeed. I mean, John Cho will be back with something awesome, I have oh, no doubt. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, speaking of adaptations, uh, I just wanted to do a quick shout out for anybody who wants to or is thinking about watching Station Eleven who is not completely turned off by the idea of a pandemic show. <laughs> and I just wanted to point quickly to an article by Nicole Chung, who wrote All You Can Ever Know and writes a weekly piece for The Atlantic. And Nicole wrote about her feelings on the adaptation and the novel and how comforting it was. And I just felt very seen by this piece. Mm. So uh, we'll leave a link in the show notes to check it out. There's a non-paywalled version on Nicole's Instagram that you can read. I just... I just love it, and I love the adaptation so far, so highly recommend it. I'm going to give you all a note that I hadn't seen this before I was looking at the agenda right before we were recording, and I clicked on it, and I almost started crying. So, like, give yourself a little, like, it is, it really hits the feels, is what I'm saying, in a good way, but still, I was not quite, like, prepared to be, like, sobbing into a handkerchief, like, 10 minutes before we were going to record this show. So, give yourself a little, it's okay, give yourself a little room, just saying. And I I haven't started the Station Eleven TV show yet, but it's, it's high on my list. I'm really looking forward to getting around to it. Yeah. The problem is I'm waiting for my partner to be ready to watch it because he's curious about it as well. So 
Um, but yeah, have you have you started watching it? Or? I did. I marathoned. They, I guess they released a bunch of episodes at once on the debut date. And mm. I was pleasantly surprised and I couldn't stop watching it. So I watched that <laughs> big... I think it was, I can't remember if it was three or five episodes. That's how (laughs) in it I was. But I was completely entranced. It is gorgeously shot. And it just, I don't know, it just hit me in the feels in the right way. It felt very satisfying. Mm. So I'm going to wait until I move to watch the rest because I'm feeling a little bit too, you know, scatterbrained. So... I, I'm really looking forward to getting through the rest of it. Nice. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, before we dive into our most anticipated picks, let's talk about our next sponsor, which I will tell you was on my short list for what I was going to talk about today. So this is very convenient because I can talk <laughs> about it as a sponsor and then pick something else for later on. So here we are. This is Light Years from Home by Mike Chen from Mira Books. And like me, you have probably heard Mike Chen's name before. He has been writing books that are greatly beloved by lots of folks I know. I somehow haven't read him yet, but this might be the book that gets me there. Here's what this one is about. 15 years ago on a family camping trip... Evie and Cass's father and brother vanished. Their dad turned up days later, dehydrated and confused, and convinced he'd been abducted by aliens, but Jacob remained missing. Now Jacob is back and talking about an intergalactic war. The entire family will have to come together to help Jacob because the FBI is after him, and if their brother is telling the truth, possibly an entire space armada, too. So this is a drama about, you know, family and who you believe and what, you know, what do you do if somebody in your family disappears and then comes back with this kind of story and whether or not it's true, like, how do you cope with that? And then, of course, you know, there's there's possible aliens, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, this is a combination of action and imagination and heart. And I I personally can't wait to dive into this one. So this is on sale now. Wherever books are sold, you can get it now. Um, and you can also attend the virtual launch on January 26th. It's going to be at 6 p.m., hosted by Annalie Newitz. And uh, the books will be on sale by Booksmith. So that's a fun one if you like a virtual event. So again, that's Light Years From Home by Mike Chen from Mira Books. Look at you getting an extra one in. (laughs) I know. I'm so sneaky. (laughs) So sneaky. You didn't even know how sneaky you were. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, I guess I get the, the lovely privilege of kicking us off with our picks. And I'm going to start with the one that's been on my in my audiobook listening copy for a minute. I think it was actually my first 2022 advanced reading book. Mm. So I'm really excited to talk about it. I've been waiting to listen to it. It's How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu. And I haven't read it yet because I was saving it for the new year. I was sort of saving a really great sounding read for myself and firstly I was drawn by the name which is like both alluring and grim sounding Mm -hmm. and then by this description so this is a science fiction debut and from what I can tell it sounds like one of those debuts that does not read like a debut which is I don't know one of the most delightful things I come across occasionally in my reading it just I I just love it when a debut author shines immediately and also it was comped with station 11 which you know I love (laughs) (laughs) a couple of my picks today are comped with station 11 which is like I don't know what, what to make of that for myself but this yes this is a plague story and it is a global one um This is to say it might not be what you want to read right now. It might not be for everybody, but I just happen to be here for it. And it is described as a story of resilience. So there is that. So it starts off in 2030 and it takes place in the Arctic Circle where we meet this grieving archaeologist who uncovers the preserved remains of this this girl who died of a virus. 
But then the whole story spans time and place and stories of different people dealing with this Arctic plague in kind of wildly inventive and inspiring ways. And it sounds like the sweep and variety and imagination involved in the telling of these stories also earned it a comp to Cloud Atlas, which is a story I have mm. not read, but I, I did watch the adaptation a long, long oh time boy. ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'll say about Ugh. that. <laughs> and then, you know, the stories go so far as to take us to the cosmos. So it, it goes off planet. And let me tell you, I am just ready for more hopeful stories about the fate of humanity. Even if they begin with tragedy, that's fine. I just need that light at the end of the tunnel as a reminder mm. of what we're all able to salvage in the face of global ruin. And I guess our humanity is kind of a top tier of what I look forward to being able to salvage. Uh, and it mm. sounds like that's what this book is serving with stories about blooming love and second chances and fresh starts in the lives of people who have suffered really massive losses. And I'm also intrigued by the world building and how Nagamatsu might envision a very changed world. So some of the things that are described are funerary skyscrapers and hotels for the dead, which is super spooky. And... Even though this book might hit close to home, I get the sense that I'll come away feeling a little bit better about where we stand. Knock on wood. But I'm sure I'll let you know if that's actually the case. So that was How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu. That's out January 18th. So you don't have long to wait if you need a story like this one. And that'll be out from William Morrow. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on it. Yeah. Yeah. You can <laughs> I can't like decide if I'm ready or not. So I'll let you tell me if I am. I will be sure to. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so yeah, my first sci-fi pick is another one from an author who I have been hearing about for years and somehow I've just not managed to read yet. But once again, always a new opportunity. It's Sweep of Stars by Maurice Brodus, which is coming out uh, in late March, March 29th from Tor. And you know I love a space opera, right? Like I yeah. am here for a space opera. This is an African-inspired space opera, super double plus here for that. They're pitching it as like the technology of Black Panther meets the scale of Expanse with the political machinations of Game of Thrones, which is like, that's a lot. There's a lot going on there. Um, and so, yeah, this is super interesting. The Empire in Question uh, split away from Old Earth to try to form a utopia and created this like huge you know, galactic empire. Um, but there are people out there, old powers, who do not want them to have the success that they have. And so they have to try to figure out what happens next for the empire, how to defeat their enemies. I'm like here for all of this. I just can't wait to read more of it. <laughs> like, and I just, I, I, I am... I'm so ready for space opera mm. that does like all of these things and that we've we've gotten so much of it like there's so many good space space operas out there right now like I really feel like we are in a golden age of like inclusive interesting unexpected space opera and this seems like another addition to that so Again, that sweep of stars by, by Maurice Brodus um, coming in March 29th uh, from, yeah, from tour. I love a good space opera, so I'm excited about that one. That sounds yeah. really great. And my next pick is also tour. It's tour.com. And if you thought I was going to forget the new Tochi Onyebuchi, you thought wrong because that's what I'm about to talk about. I'm really, really excited to dive back into Onyebuchi's brain by way of Goliath, his newest. And y'all heard me rave about Riot Baby so many times probably now. Um, <laughs> but Onyebuchi's 2020 science fiction novella was a hard but necessary and powerful read. And I will continue to celebrate it. 
So I really couldn't resist the pull of this story, even though it seems perhaps less ho hopeful, um, which I don't know. It seems to be the theme. I'm, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I don't know for certain also that it is less hopeful. I have not read it, so I could be wrong. And I will stand in my wrongness if that's the case. But <laughs> with Goliath, we see my second Station Eleven comp, and this also takes place an extra 20 years into the future uh, from How High We Go in the Dark, because Goliath is set in 2050, and at this point, Earth is in ruins with everyone hightailing it for space colonies. And if you haven't fled for a colony in the story, you're doing what you can on Earth. You're scrabbling for survival while the literal bricks of civilization are being taken for the space colonies from Earth. So people's homes and neighborhoods are being cannibalized for these colonizers. And amidst the struggles of what, what sounds like gentrification taken to new levels, we get the stories of people living in this world in this time from a journalist trying to capture violence on the streets to a space traveler trying to reconnect with his lover back in Connecticut, which I, I discovered is the home of Onyebuchi himself. So uh, some slice of life from him, probably not exactly fitting to this story. I am sure he's not a space traveler, but I can tell this is a story of the haves and the have nots and what the haves feel entitled to taking and how they exploit through colonization and downright theft. And Goliath is also described as a biblically inspired sci-fi epic, which, you know, color me intrigued. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't quite, I, I think I have a, a vague idea of what biblical story this might be inspired by, but I'm not. I mean, one would assume yeah. David and Goliath. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to. title. I am not like an expert and I, I am very doubtful of my own ability to <laughs> infer what it could be, but I think I'm, I'm right, maybe. <laughs> I can, as a, as a preacher's kid, I can verify that at least the title is a reference to that. Okay, so. okay. See, I didn't even get that reference. You know, I do not come from that background, so I, that's, I'm That's okay fine, that's it. fine. <laughs> <laughs> but Onyabuchi, I guess I'm saying, is an exceptional writer whose work I'll continue to follow. And this is his adult novel debut, which I didn't realize and is very exciting. Oh. So I guess this is what I'm going to probably have to take my time with if it does lean darker. But if it's anything like Riot Baby, I'm sure it'll leave a lasting impression. So that's Goliath by Tochi Onyebuchi, and it's out January 25th from Tor.com. Nice. Uh, my next pick is my other sci-fi. It's The Memory Librarian and Other Stories of Dirty Computer by none other than Janelle Monae. Awesome. Like, hello. <laughs> I remember when they announced this book and I like lost my mind and emailed everyone I knew at HarperCollins to be like, how do I get on the galley list for this, please and thank you. And they were like, yeah, it's going to be like a year. And I was like, <laughs> so I was really delighted when the digital galley turned up in my feed. I immediately downloaded and started reading the other day on my lunch break. It doesn't come out until April 19th, so I'm sorry for you all that you do not have it immediately. But y'all, this is so interesting. So this is, as you might have guessed from the subtitle, Janelle Monae's uh, album Dirty Computer, right, had like this whole story to it. If you're not familiar, pause this show, go listen, <laughs> enjoy, come back. Uh, but it's a really interesting, you know, thing to see this story collection coming, being birthed, as it were, out of a medium like, you know, a, a conceptual album. Like, I just think that's super cool. And I can't wait to re-listen to that after I'm done reading this and, like, find all the connections because it's been a minute since I, like, really sat down and experienced that album. So, and I, I have started the first story, and it is about a woman named Seshet who lives in a future where memories are routinely collected and, like, potentially erased or, like, massaged. They're surveilled. Mm -hmm. um, and Seshet is the memory librarian for this city called Little Delta. And she is, like, very 
She's walking a tightrope. She is black. She's a woman. She is a minority in a very, like, heavy, you know, versus have-nots um, profession. And so she has tried to sort of, you know, do her job unimpeachably, but also to make room and like maybe turn a blind eye to allow for people who are considered deviant by society to like sort of be escaping notice, which otherwise somebody else in this position might not do. And so she's trying to do the best she can with the power that she has. Of course, as we know from these stories, like there's only so long you can do that before mm-hmm. your own sort of moral compass gets skewed and you have to start deciding, like, what are you willing to be complicit in? And uh, Seshet's sort of moment comes when she starts fo- falling for a woman named Alethea, who is trans, which is still consider- considered deviant in this society, and who sort of opens a door to a world that Seshet has been sort of deliberately not noticing until then. And the higher-ups are sending her, you know, alerts about something that's going on, and she has to take care of it, and, you know, what is she going to do? And that's how this collection opens. And let me tell you, I, you know, celebrities writing books is always sort of like a question marky thing, yeah. right? You're like, oh, is it going to be good? I don't mm-hmm. know. But Janelle Monet can put words together, which is not a surprise if you've listened to her music, right? But like, I am here to tell you she can put them together in a story form as well. I'm really enjoying it so far. I can't wait to continue reading and seeing what other characters we get introduced to, what other themes come up. It also is making me want to do a roundup of uh, sci-fi and fantasy that is very specifically confirmed with memory because we've been seeing a really interesting thematic trend over the past years, right? Like we've got Bethany Morrow, we've got River Solomon. There's some others that I'm not going to be able to think of off the top of my head, but I feel like there's something juicy there. So stay tuned for that uh, exploration. (laughs) And again, I've been gushing about the the memory librarian and other stories of Dirty Computer by Janelle Monet coming out April 19th. I remember your excitement about this one. I'm so happy for you, and I can't wait to read it myself. I am also really excited to talk about my next pick, which is a slim collection of mostly speculative short stories, and it happens to be my current read. It's how I'm kicking off the year, and I feel like I've chosen wisely. So I'm talking about lesser-known monsters of the 21st century. This is by Kim Fu which I am just loving, loving this collection so far. Foo stories are so Moorish. Like I made the mistake of choosing this as my before bed book, which is a Ooh. habit. Yeah, I'm, ha- I'm trying to develop this habit in the new year, like to read more and also to wind down at the end of the day because I am not good at winding down at the end of the day. But mm. the problem is that I have I have to really work hard to stick to one story a night to keep a reasonable bedtime. So I've broken this rule a couple of times and it has kept me up past my bedtime because, I mean, that's a sign of a good story, but it's not really helping mm. my sleep schedule is what I'm saying. <laughs> so I'm about halfway through the book now. And I, I say mostly speculative because the most recent story I read was firmly contemporary fiction, uh, which I sort of didn't notice until I got to the end of the story. But every story before that one was speculative, and it's described as a speculative collection. Some of the stories are more fantastical than others as well, but they're all so far amazing. And the first story is this sort of exchange between the operator of a simulation service and a potential client, and it was a total kick in the gut. I didn't expect that coming, but I sort of wanted to reread it because I... I felt like it was a really, really short but very powerful story. But the second story, Liddy First to Fly, might be my favorite so far, probably because I'm a sucker for coming-of-age stories and would 100% choose flight as my superpower, so that spoke to me. (laughs) And the thing about Fu's stories is that they... They really keep you locked in and riveted. She does the thing great short story writers do, which is to say 
she pulls you into the story from the jump and keeps you there. So I was really invested in finding out what happens to the characters in every single story I've read so far because they're also so well written. They really come to life and the characters' exceptional circumstances are really skillfully used to bring home their humanity and to make their stories feel relatable, even though it's so, it's set in places you, we will never be probably in our lifetimes and the things they experience are so fantastical. And even though not all of the stories take place in today's world, they all feel contemporary in a way. It, it is, as the collection is described, a, a modern collection of short stories, whatever that means to you. But it, that, that really spoke to me after reading some of these short stories. So I've really taken a shine lately to short story collections. And these stories were kind of exactly what I'm looking for in short stories. And if the name sounds familiar, Kim Fu is the author of the novel, The Lost Girls of Camp Forevermore, which came out in mm. 2018. Yeah, that was everywhere for a while. Mm -hmm. And this is her first short story collection and it's fabulous and you should read it when it comes out on February 1st from Tin House. So I've been talking about Lesser Known Monsters of the 21st Century by Kim Fu. That sounds great. It's so good. Also, the art of selecting a bedtime book is a real struggle, I will say. You wow. have to like yeah. get exactly I cuz I always have a bedtime book going, but I found it has to be a very certain kind of book. I'm like it that. can't be something too grabby because then as you said, like it just totally defeats the purpose of helping you wind down, but it also can't be like so slow that you're like not engaged enough to to focus, which is the whole point of like, you know, Focusing your brain on one thing to like yeah. sort of let go of everything else that's been going on. So I will say I've been doing the Dandelion Dynasty series by Ken Liu as my bedtime read for like a couple months now. And it's it's going very well. The pacing is like just right for me and the characters. It has such a classical feel to it. It works really well for that for me. That's a that's a really good. Those are really great tips. I am very new to it. I've sort of done it in a scattered <laughs> way. And you are right. It is an art, and I might it's have an to art. take some it's tips an art. from you. <laughs> uh, let's see. So my first fantasy pick is When We Were Birds by Ayana Lloyd Banwo. And this sounds so good, y'all. This is a love story set in Trinidad, and it is sort of – it it pivots around a graveyard – which I am like a cemetery fan, yes. which is a weird thing to say, but it's true. Same. And <laughs> the description of this is like so, this sounds so interesting to me. Uh, there are two main characters, one Yejida, whose mother is dying. And this family, the, the women, there's one woman in every generation who has the power to shepherd the souls in this city um, into the afterlife. But Yejida has had a very, like, complicated relationship with her mother, so she's not super looking forward to taking up the family mantle. And then the other character, Darwin, was raised in the countryside by a very devout Rastafarian mother and, like, has, you know, been the very strict uh, avoidance of interacting with death. So he's never been to a funeral. He's never seen a dead body. But when he leaves the countryside, the only job he can get is grave digging. So he is like sort of rejecting his past and trying to forge a new future in this, you know, very prescribed way. And the two of them meet and the plot is going to spiral out from there. Um, it sounds so interesting. And I'm here for a novel that is described as being about love's seismic power to heal. Like, yes, please, I will take I will take all of that. Uh, and the author is from Trinidad and Tobago. So this is, you know, a novel that is based on personal experience. It's also her first novel. So that's all pretty exciting to me. Uh, so, again, that's When We Were Birds by... By Ayana Lloyd Banwo. That's coming March 15th from Doubleday. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. 
Mm, right? Yeah. Um, and well, my final pick, my fantasy pick involves witches and romance and has a gothic feel. And I'm talking about Wild and Wicked Things by Francesca May. And to start off, I'll say that I usually avoid books that talk about like world war. And Mm. I guess I generally avoid books about most IRL wars, but I come across (laughs) so many world war books in particular and particularly about world war two, but My Mm -hmm. interest was piqued with Wild and Wicked Things because I can't resist a witch story. And I particularly enjoy a witchy historical fiction. And I quickly realized that the story takes place after World War I. So we see the effects of the war, but it's not taking place during the war, which I don't know, makes a huge difference for me personally somehow. Uh, And this is also a queer story inspired by The Great Gatsby I actually didn't realize that. Yeah, I didn't realize until after I picked this book and looked into it just a little bit more. And I recently talked about Nevo's The Chosen and The Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it was one of my favorites of 2021. So I just feel ready for more magic and mayhem and sapphic romance (laughs) and Gatsby inspired stories. So this felt really perfect. And the story centers around three women. So we've got Annie Mason, her old friend friend Beatrice, who she's reconnecting with, and the mysterious and alluring Emmeline Delacroix. So Annie is visiting Bee on Crow Island, which is this summer getaway for the wealthy and the glamorous. And Emmeline is Bee's neighbor, And the thing about Emmeline and about Crow Island as well is that they're the subjects of rumors about sort of illicit magic. And in this world, in this version of our reality, magic is a prohibited thing. It impacted soldiers and their families during the war, and it broke a lot of hearts and made a lot of people miserable, basically. And even though Annie who's also on the island to settle her late father's estate, wants nothing to do with magic. She's pulled into Emmeline's world and the extravagant parties she and Bea are privy to and also the dangerous world of witchcraft. So I see this described as gay and gothic and I am ready to be haunted by another magical historical fantasy with uh, sapphic romance. So I'm really excited for this one. It's a new to me author. So I like having that feeling of the unexpected. I do not know what to expect. I've heard that the writing is really great and lyrical. And that's Wild and Wicked Things by Francesca May. It's out March 29th from Red Hook. Nice, nice. That does sound extremely wheelhousey for yes. you. <laughs> <laughs> you are correct. Ideal, ideal. Yeah. Well, speaking of wheelhouses, my final fantasy pick is The Stardust Thief by Chelsea Abdullah coming from Orbit on May 17th. And this is inspired by stories from 1001 Nights, which is something I loved since somebody gave me a copy as a kid. And actually, one of my good Christmas presents this year was a beautiful annotated uh, and illustrated edition that I think came from Norton, um, the publisher. It's stunning. So I've been really enjoying leafing through that. And this obviously is was going to catch my attention when I saw it in the catalog. Uh, so this is inspired by stories from 1001 Nights. And also, can you like get any more interesting to me? It's a story about a smuggler and a prince <laughs> and a dangerous quest. Like, come on now. Come on. <laughs> Talk about wheelhouses. Exactly, exactly. So the main character, Luli Al-Nazari, is a midnight merchant who, she is a criminal, she's got a gin bodyguard, and she hunts down and sells illegal magic. And she saves the life of a very cowardly prince, which then draws the attention of his father, the sultan, who blackmails her into going out to try to find an ancient lamp that should have the power to revive this desert land, but 
but the cost is sacrificing all Jin. So she doesn't have a lot of options here. She doesn't want to be executed. She has to go on this quest, but she doesn't necessarily want to succeed either. And there's ghoul attacks and a vengeful Jin queen and a killer from the past and all kinds of hijinks. And this just sounds great. (laughs) I'm so ready for this book. Um, Also, Abdullah is an American Kuwaiti writer who was born and raised in Kuwait. So these are stories from her own childhood that she is reinterpreting, which is lovely to see. Uh, So yeah, again, that is The Stardust Thief by Chelsea Abdullah, and it is on sale May 17th from Orbit. Ah, that was so wonderful. I'm so excited about all of these. I know, like nothing but good vibes. This is, I mean, well, we have some weird vibes. Let's yeah, say, we have some weird say vibes. Uh, I'm guilty of not so good. Not vibes. exactly good, but they are uh, exciting vibes. Yeah. Let's put it that yeah, way. They are. <laughs> oh well, thank you all for joining us on this our first show of 2022. Thank you also to our sound editor Natalie Baker, who does a great job of cleaning up all of our tongue ties and whatnot. Uh, If you would like more recommendations, you can definitely get those at bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. And if you would like to email us, maybe you have theme ideas or feedback about a news item or a show or whatever, you can send us those emails at sffyeah at bookriot.com. You could also, if you were so inclined, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify now, which does help other people to find the show and speaking of finding us sharifa where are you these days i'm on instagram seemingly mostly doodling about my life at s williams (laughs) i'm so here for those doodles thank you thank you it it gives me some peace of mind in a strange way so yeah you can find those at s-z-a-i-n-a-b williams And I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.